Our first song uh, this evening will be on page 281, 281. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy we share as we tarry Stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known Reading this morning in the evening will be Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain to the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The song before our opening prayer is on page uh, 184, Stepping in the Light. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our Savior and King, shaping our lives by His blessed example. Happy, how happy the songs that we bring. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, upward, still upward, we'll follow our guide. 
When we shall see him, the king in his beauty, happy, how happy, our place at his side. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Let's bow. Lord, we come before you tonight so happy that we have the opportunity to step in the light with you, Lord, and to walk in your wonderful footsteps. Lord, we are just so thankful to have the opportunity to come back tonight and to serve you and to further our knowledge of you, Lord. Lord, we are so thankful for this church here at Stroudsville and all the ministries that we have going on here, Lord. All the elders and the deacons working towards the common goal, Lord, of seeking and saving the lost. Lord, we are just so thankful that we have that opportunity every morning to wake up and to serve you. Lord, please let our worship tonight be pleasing unto you, and let it be scriptural, Lord. Lord, please help those that couldn't make it tonight for any reasons, Lord, and please, Lord, help us help them want to come here. Lord, we love you, we appreciate you, and we are so appreciative for you sending your son to die on that old rugged cross for each and every one of us, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. The invitation song this evening will be on page 519 when we all get to heaven. Before the lesson this evening, we'll be singing 10,000 Angels on page 170. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior, so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him, he's to blame. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. cross of shame he took alone and when he cried it's finished he gave himself to die salvation's wondrous plan was done he could have called to destroy the world and set him free. 
Appreciate everybody being here tonight. It's always good to see our Sunday night crowd. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis. We'll probably begin around 7. This will be our last in the, in the Genesis series. We've done three lessons. This is the third, and the, the name of the series is Noah's Choice. And so we basically talk about how Noah was a righteous man and he made godly choices that, that ended up in the salvation of himself and his family. And so uh, the first two lessons we saw were Noah uh, chose to be a righteous man and that he believed and obeyed the Lord. Lesson two, we focused on his obedience. And, um, and so basically he, like the circle on the chosen, he was the fish that was swimming against the current while the rest of the world laughed at God and were disobedient and wicked, he chose to be righteous. He began to build the ark. And then tonight we're going to focus on his worship when the boat uh, landed there on Mount Ararat. And uh, we'll talk about that act of worship, what it means to him and us today. So last week, just I always like to review a little bit, we, look, we looked at his obedience and basically, it was that saving faith that he had and obedience combined that resulted in his salvation. The same applies to us today. We cannot just believe and do nothing. We can't obey but not have faith, and we're going through the motions. There has to be a combination of both, faith and obedience. What I found amazing about Noah is I don't think we can really understand in context how unbelievable that must have been when God gave him instructions to build this huge ark. There have been some scientists who theorize that perhaps a heavy rain or flood had never occurred on the earth before. We're told in the beginning at the creation of the garden that there was a heavy mist that came up, and that's what watered everything. So Noah is told that there's going to be a flood. You know, maybe it was one of those conversations where he's like, um, what's that, Lord? It's when a lot of rain is going to come out of the sky. I've never seen that before, but I believe you. If you tell me that's what's going to happen, it's going to make your boat that I'm telling you to build float up, and the rest of the people will drown. So it was an unbelievable set of instructions. God gave him the plans, and he was a righteous man, and he obeyed, and also that resulted in his salvation. I appreciate Noah. He's just, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for him. And in the, in the Noah account in Genesis, the Bible tells us that Noah did all, not just some, but everything that God had commanded him. He followed it to the letter of the law, and this resulted in him being saved. In Genesis 7.22, we see this, this depiction of, of God destroying everything that had the breath of life in it. Some people will ask, well, what about the fish in the sea or what about what you know whales or sharks and I'm like they probably continued to live in that water Uh, they they could swim and adapt to a different salt content Uh, so chances are they survived 
But that's why in Genesis 7.22, it mentions that everything that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. That basically implies land-walking animals, land-walking creatures that did not have gills. Um, The whales probably fell in that category of surviving in the water. Verse 23 says the Lord blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens. Did God want to destroy his creation? The same thing that he called good? No. It probably made God very sad uh, to have to do this, but because of the extreme wickedness, he destroyed men and women and children, destroyed the evil practices and the disobedient creation. The next is just an artist rendering of the ark when it floated up. And I wanted to, to help us understand that for a while, people swam. For a while, people held on to pieces of wood. But I just have to imagine that each person depicted in that water, looking at a boat floating off that has animals and people, and they laughed at Noah, they laughed at his family for doing this, and now it's resulting in their salvation while they slowly die. It's a very sad picture indeed. And it's just a stark reminder that one day the Lord is going to destroy this earth. And we'll be caught up. Uh, We'll be caught up in the air. We'll be judged. We'll be pronounced either a faithful child of God or unfaithful child of God. And there'll be only two destinations for all of those who have been created. Either they will be in eternal place of torment or in heaven. The stark reality of God's words coming true were true in this case of Noah as people floated in the water and they looked and said, Noah, we believe you, we believe you, save us. So the text says that they were blotted out from the earth, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. So I want to now focus and kind of turn away from the tragic event of the death of those who were evil to the blessings that Noah received by being obedient. And so um, the Genesis account tells us of the importance of both faith and obedience, and it shows the fate of those who chose not to obey. You know, church, the same (laughs) principles apply for us today. We have to be obedient. If people laugh at us, if people mock us and ridicule us for our belief and and what the Bible teaches and what God commands, then so be it. Because we know in the end, if we remain faithful, we know that in the end, if we're obedient children and we we face ridicule, people mocking us, it's okay because God says, I'm going to save you in the end. I really believe that with all my heart. And so let us not cave in to people who are laughing at us and and mocking our God. How can you believe that fairy tale? How can you believe these things? In Hebrews 11, 7, I I just thought it was interesting that Hebrews 11, that the chapter of the great faith of those people who believed in God, by faith, Hebrew, um, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. That's important. Noah was told to build an ark for a flood that he probably had never seen before in his life. 
Perhaps he had not seen a deluge of rain on the earth, but he did it. And notice it says, in reverent fear. That was a little parenthetical phrase that the writer of Hebrews adds. How did Noah respond? In reverent fear. He respects the Lord. He fears the Lord. He knows that the Lord has a right to give life and take life. And so he did it. He constructed an ark. He was obedient for the saving of his household. Those are important things that all resulted in Noah's choice to be obedient and faithful. By this, he, that is the Lord, condemned the world and became, um, I'm sorry, by this he, Noah, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Same applies to us today. If we're obedient and reverent, God will bless us in the end. So now we see the ark and other artists rendering in uh, floating on the water. We see, um, I don't know if the seas were rough or the seas were calm, but we know, as mentioned before, the perfect ratio for stability on a vessel were the same dimensions God gave Noah. Perfect stability in rough seas, whatever water condition. It floated, some describe it as a large shoebox with a small roof. But... It saved all of the animals. It saved Noah and his family. If you want to turn to Genesis 8-1, let's read a little more about Noah's faith. It says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now we're at the end of this very long period of time where Noah's on the ark all of the provisions that he needed were there. Noah and his family had food. The animals had food. They all survived. They commingled. Perhaps God gave the meat-eating animals like lions and leopards um, a peace and calmness where they cohabitated with other animals close to them. I don't know how that worked out. What about the dinosaurs? It all worked out. God made it work. Um, I'm sure if you ask some people, they probably preferred that Noah not take certain animals on the ark. But he did. He did just as God commanded, and it worked out fine. After a long journey, the ark comes to the rest. We're told the mountains um, begin to appear. And so that next picture shows the ark supposedly landing maybe on the top of Mount Ararat. I imagine if Noah could look across the, 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 the sea line of the, of the sea along the horizon, he could begin to see the tops of other mountains appear slowly. So this was a gradual process. The Bible tells us in Genesis 8.13, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark. He looked. Of course, we know the story about him sending out the raven and the dove and and how he began to realize that there was dry ground. Behold, the face of the ground was dry, verse 14, in the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Now what I want to talk about tonight for the next few minutes is the last phase of our lesson series, and that is worship. I don't know if you realize this, but the very first thing after Noah unloads these animals, after his family walk out on dry land, he worships. And so let's turn to Genesis 8. And I'll begin reading in 20. Okay, I'm going to look at verse 20. 
This is the establishment of God's covenant with Noah. I, I can't really begin to, to understand the emotions and the feelings Noah and his family must have had when they realize we are the only human beings alive at this point. <laughs> We're it. There's no more human beings. There's only us, these animals, and the fish we see in the sea. The Bible says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. By the way, if you're thinking, wait a minute, there were only two. No, if you go back to the original account, in Genesis it tells that he was supposed to bring more clean animals for the purposes of sacrifice. And so again, the Lord had thought ahead of this provision, so Noah had extra clean animals to sacrifice. Verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil, present tense, from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done, while the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I was talking the other day to my mom about this, and I said, you know, that is such an interesting promise in Genesis 8.20 that God said, I'll never destroy the earth again by water, and as long as timeline continues on this earth, farmers, there's always going to be harvest time, seed time, planting. There's going to be winter, summer, all of the, all the seasons, um, summer and winter, um, cold and heat, and it shall not cease. That's just, I find an amazing promise, an interesting promise, a covenant that God made. On the next slide, you'll see... Uh, another artist rendering of an altar that's been built and animals that are sacrificed to the Lord. We see um, Noah and his sons with raised hands, and in the background of this altar, we see a rainbow. This rainbow was a covenant. It was the sign of God making a promise. If you'll flip over to the next chapter in 9, we see beginning in verse 8. A description of the rainbow. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant, and you and your offspring after you, and with living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you. That never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Verse 13, again, he refers to the rainbow. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a, a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh 
that is on the earth. And so God emphatically and, and over and over again says the rainbow is there for a reason to remember my promise to you. It is a covenant relationship. Now, the next slide, I don't mean to be controversial, but you've probably seen the rainbow a lot lately, right? Starting in the 80s, this was the symbol or the sign of the LGBTQ community. On their pride marches, they would wave the flag, wear the rainbow colors. You see them everywhere. And I just think how sad that must make God's heart that they've taken a covenant symbol, a rainbow, meaning something very significant to believers, and they say this is the gay pride symbol. I think it makes God angry. It's almost like we're coming full circle back to the days of Noah where people laugh and mock and ridicule God and have stolen the symbol of the rainbow to use for their own depravity. Let's be honest, what what is going on in the LGBT community, God calls an abomination. It's the reason Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Let's be honest. So it's a corrupt lifestyle that ultimately will cause the destruction of people. And they've stolen God's rainbow. So I just wanted to remind each and every one tonight that we need to remember, let each one of us remember what the rainbow represents to God's faithful children. The rainbow is beautiful. I'll always appreciate it for what it originally meant. And I'll always remember God's promise to me. And I stand on the word of God. I stand on his promises. And so um, I also want to suggest this, and I say this humbly to you, and that is when you see the rainbow used in other ways by groups of people that are, that are um, promoting immoral lifestyles, pray for them. Pray for them because God does love sinners. God loves people who are involved in wicked lifestyles. He wants them to be saved. You may recall that the Bible says in reference, it says in the, in the days of Noah, God's patience waited. In the days of Noah, God is waiting now while evil people may be become more depraved, but yet God still loves them and God wants them to follow him, to repent. He wants them to worship. He wants them to come out of that lifestyle Now, the last part of our lesson tonight, I want to focus on the worship of Noah. He he, uh, built an altar, offered a sacrifice to God. God smelled it. It was pleasing to him. God put the rainbow in the sky as a covenant. Now I want to focus very specifically for just a few minutes on our worship today. How do we worship? What um, What is pleasing to the Lord? So, basically... Uh, no animal sacrifices or grain sacrifices uh, are involved in our worship today. We don't do that in, in the new covenant, the law of grace. Uh, but we do lay something at the Lord's feet. We do sacrifice something on the altar, and that is our free will. All right? So I want you to think about this. What does that mean? That means that when we come and worship God, our worship involves the sacrifice of these things, pride of fulfilling worldly desires, that is, following the ways of the flesh. We say, God, I deny the flesh those things. I choose the Spirit over flesh. We give sacrificially to the Lord, not only of our financial means, but we give our time, 
Um, we, we honor him by being obedient and serving others in the name of the Lord. And um, we are devoted to him, which comes at a cost, just like Noah. We follow God. We're obedient to him while others mock us. So here's what I want you to think about as we wind up the lesson tonight, and that is God seeks worshipers. He seeks followers who, like Noah, will submit to his commands. He wants us to respond in righteous living. He wants us to be obedient, to walk in faith. So that's how we worship God. Just think of what Noah did, the faith and the obedience. Even in the face of resistance and mocking, Noah did everything God commanded, and we should as well. I want to focus as we close tonight on four acts of worship. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but while we don't build altars and while we don't offer grain or animal sacrifices, we still worship today. And I want you to turn to Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, 1. Give you just a minute to turn there. Here Paul writes to the church at Rome about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, So if you're taking notes tonight, write number one. One way that we worship God, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. When we go through the act of being baptized, there is a symbolic death of the old man, a burial of that old man covered in the blood of Jesus, the water. That old man is now transformed into a new creature, raised up to become a living child of God who is sin-free and whom God controls. That is so important. You see, if we revert back to the old man, the man who's controlled by the flesh after we come up out of the water, that we have not truly been converted. We have not been transformed into the image of Christ. We've just gotten wet. And so, number one, you have to sacrifice your body. Every day when you get up and submit to the will of God, God, I'm here to be obedient and glorify you. This body is not mine. This body is yours. Please use it as a vessel in your honor. And so when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, it is holy and acceptable to God. In other words, when God smelled that aroma of those animals on the altar and it was pleasing to him, the same applies to us when we submit ourselves to God is a pleasing aroma. It's acceptable to God, and that's our spiritual worship. Now, number two, if we're going to worship God, we cannot be conformed to this world. Being a, a obedient disciple is a transformation process. This is really important. If you're a child of God, and you can continue to use vulgar language or profane language, or you continue to engage in certain carnal desires or or acts of the flesh, you have not been transformed. You are not living as a child of God, and you run the risk of the Holy Spirit leaving as an unwelcome guest. Just a challenge to each of us, to remind each of us that we must be transformed into the image of Christ. Sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, sometimes we ask God to forgive us. We're human. But if we engage in these things habitually, day in and day out, we have not truly been transformed. We may wear the name Christian. 
God knows our hearts. Number three, how do we worship today? We renew our minds. We renew our minds. What we may have thought about or engaged in that was not of God, that was worldly and fleshly, we may have worshipped other things like money or prestige or certain things that are valuable by the world's standards. But our mind says, you know, those used to be valuable to me, but they're not anymore. You remember Paul when he was writing to the church about all of his accomplishments? He said, those things, they're not worth anything to me, to me now. All those things that I used to value, I put on the garbage heap, right? Because I am in Christ, chosen by Christ, and I'm turning myself over as a vessel to him. What my mind and my body used to crave, I now have renewed that to honor God. Now, it says here in Romans 12:1 that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. I believe that when we walk in Christ and when he lives in us, as we read and study his word, we have that ability to now have a divine ability to discern between good and evil. We can read the word more deeply and understand how, through the assistance of his spirit, we have the ability to have spiritual discernment that comes from God. And it tells us how to please him, what is good, what is acceptable, and perfect. And so number four, let's focus on the things that are good and pleasing to God. Those are acceptable, the things that are perfect in God. Let us choose those things to focus on, the things that are eternal and meaningful to God. I want to close now with just one passage in Genesis 9, 28. Good old Noah. You know, it's amazing that he had children at 500 years of age. 500 years of age, Shem, Ham, and Japheth were born. But yet the Bible says that after the flood, Noah lived an additional 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950. He was almost as old as Methuselah. Noah lived to 950 years old, and he died. I have to believe, just my opinion, that when we're called upon that judgment day and the trumpet sounds and we're before the throne of God and we see Noah up there, Noah will hear the Lord say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear that? I do. I want to worship God. I want to sacrifice. I want to do things that are pleasing to him because all the things the world values They're going to be destroyed, just like in the flood. They will be going away. The things that the world chases after don't matter. What matters is, am I pleasing to God? Am I being obedient? And am I being faithful? Am I worshiping God as Noah did in a way that's pleasing to him? I appreciate all of y'all being here tonight. I always feel like Sunday nights I'm preaching to the choir. The people that are here every Sunday night, you're faithful, you're devoted, you're involved. Thank you for being here. And I hope that this was a reminder of what God wants. We saw Noah chose to be righteous. We saw that Noah chose to be obedient. And tonight we see how Noah worshiped and how we can worship in a way that also pleases God. The lesson is yours. We're going to have a re-invitation song. Stand and sing if we can help you in any way. We ask you to come.
Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the tools of life replay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Yes. Okay. Um, first off, if you have not partaken of the Lord's Supper uh, at this time, you can uh, make your way to the back and it'll be there. Uh, somebody back there will guide you where you need to go. Also, after uh, service, we have a calendar planning session uh, back in the fellowship hall uh, to get everything on the calendar for this upcoming year. Um, the closing song will be on page 100. There's something about that name. We'll have our closing prayer after this song. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name, Master, Something about 
Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us and this time to gather together. Please keep us safe this week. Help us to, to seek you with all of our heart and to let our light shine that others may glorify you. Please help us to serve each other and to be filled with your spirit and with joy. To you be glory, honor, and power, and might forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.